Welcome to Future Economies Start with Youth, the podcast. My name is Kevin Eustacia, and in today's episode, we will explore the meaning of green jobs in different sectors and also in different country contexts, the skill sets required to ensure retention and meaningful engagement. With me today are three incredible experts who will offer valuable insights into the theory and also the practicality of employment in the green economy from business and also from a youth perspective. Firstly, we have Ninia Lacey, who will collaborate on enlightening research with the organization INCLUDE, which examined green jobs for youth in Africa. She will share some, in, some of her insights from the resulting paper. We have Majina Mazesi, she's a gender and youth advisor for the VSO, and she will delve deeper into the youth perspective, how to adequately prepare young people for green jobs, and also illustrate its implications for both employers and also employees. And lastly but not least, we have Kamei van Pippenberg. She works in the monitoring, evaluation, and learning team within the CFYE. Today, Kamei will highlight insights gained from the practical applications of learning and research on green jobs in the CFYE portfolio, and also provide some concrete examples of CFYE IPs. Thank you for being here, everyone. Climate change and urbanization will drastically impact future generations. I think that's something we all know today. And these global challenges will be both threats, but surprisingly also opportunities for, for young people. The so-called green economy is emerging as a potential solution to these rising challenges for, for example, climate change, poverty alleviation, and inequality reduction. It enables countries to generate an inclusive economic transformation, one by which is, has decency, uh, as a central feature of, of job creation, which is also important. So I want to start with you, Nina. How would you define uh, a quote-unquote decent job? Yes, yeah, so during um, uh, the research that we've done, we found about 100 different definitions. Um, so we landed on quite a broad definition, which I'm going to attempt to quote directly. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, the definition we landed on was that green jobs are jobs in green businesses that... Um, contribute to maintaining and restoring the environment uh, and avoiding future damage to the uh, Earth's ecosystem while, of course, also generating and supporting the well-being of people. So that's what we use during uh, our research. And there's several things that I'd like to highlight there, which is, as you said, the job decency part of it, the well-being of people. Um, you cannot have a green job that is not decent. That's that's basically what we thought about. Uh, secondly, what we thought about was we're taking uh, a green business as a unit here instead of the job itself. So that means that an HR representative in a renewable energy company that is also considered a green job, even though they're not you know directly contributing. Uh, and the last thing I want to mention is yeah, that it's a skill, isn't it? Um, a job can be focused on very much decarbonizing the economy, but not as much on restoring the environment. So there's, there's different things that it can focus on. So it's very difficult to assess how green a job actually is. So for the CFYE, we actually uh, developed a, a mapping tool in an attempt to help the assessment of these green jobs. Okay, that's really interesting. And I want to move on to you now, um, Kamei. You work in quite the monitoring aspect of this. And how does this, um, how does this inform your perspective? 
Yeah, it's like Nina said, it's quite hard to define a green job because also looking at our portfolio, we realized that there are a lot of different green elements. So all our IPs, they focus on different green aspects. We have IPs that focus on recycling or waste management. We have IPs that focus on agriculture or renewable energy, greening the construction sector. So it's quite hard to uh, combine all these green elements into one definition. Um, so that's also why I feel it's important to have a broad definition that can fit yeah. all these different green jobs. And also in terms of decency, it's kind of important to have that broad definition because of course, as the CFIE, we aim to create decent jobs, um, but we also recognize that decency has different aspects. And especially in the green economy, these different aspects are important. Um, for example, one of our IPs in Kenya, they um, work with young people to employ them as waste pickers. So they uh, focus on um, collecting and converting plastic waste. And you might say that a job as a waste picker might not be the most decent job, but the job has so much uh, different elements of decency. It um, helps young people to go from the informal uh, sector to the formal value chain. And it also offers long-term opportunities for the young people. So also in terms of uh, decency, it's important to have a broad definition of the green jobs. Okay, thank you so much, Kame. <laughs> and you, both you and Nina mentioned that um, yeah, the, the definition of uh, a green job is quite difficult. I want to move on to you now, Magina. I know that uh, um, I understand that youth champs in Uganda have done research on yeah, exactly this, um, this definition from a youth perspective. So can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, I mean, interesting enough also, I think the reason as why we need, we wanted to do that research or the reason as why the youth champions wanted to engage with their peers was on the same thing, you know, just the understanding of what green jobs really mean um, to the young yeah. people. And I think for us, funny enough, is one of the key things that came out that um, surprised us was that most of the young people who were engaged in some sort of green job did not even realize that what they were doing was actually a green job, yeah. you know, because it's just something they probably have an interest in, a passion in, something they found themselves in. But, you know, that's, that's an understanding that they didn't have. And I think for us, we just agreed with the youth champions that it's good for us to... Um, continue you know like sensitizing more young people to understand what you know the green jobs really are and also the opportunities that exist as Nina is saying and then also for them to kind of like understand you know the different types of impact um, as well and how that relates to them so that we can encourage um, more young people because I think also like Kame is saying the understanding out here is that green jobs are not most green jobs rather are not attractive um, to young people and I think again it's just probably focusing on specific sectors and not yeah. all the sectors but also you know the value chains in the in the different sectors as well so i think that for us that was one big thing okay that's really interesting that you mentioned a lot of young people who work in green jobs didn't really know that it's a green job yeah. so i think that's it's it's clear that there's a knowledge a, a gap in knowledge actually in understanding the sector and i want to ask all of us here today i'm going to start off with you magina but how how would it be beneficial for business owners and also employees to foster shared knowledge in order to bridge the gap in understanding yeah, good question. And yeah, that ties in very well with also, I guess, how um, yeah, employers, I guess, can also attract the right people within their companies as well. Um, I mean, one of the things we've always said is also how employers package those job opportunities, you know. So rather than saying, 
we have an opening for like a waste picker. It's probably you have an opening for, I don't know, like to convert your waste into gold or something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, an opportunity for you to learn how to upcycle your waste. Like there are ways in which job um, employers can package and that can also make more young people um, interested. And then the other thing that we've also learned around that is, you know, once um, young people are onboarded in some of those companies is what, what happens within those companies. So in most businesses, it's usually like the nine to five, you know, just come in at yeah. nine, leave at five, boom, bye. Um, but then I think from the research particularly, what came out is the importance to foster that continued learning within the companies as well, because that makes the young people continue building their knowledge. And then they're also able to share that with other um, young people outside. And one big recommendation, we are calling it big because we really loved it, is, you know, with companies being able to establish um, incubation spaces, like green incubation spaces yeah. within the companies, so that if any of the young employees has like an innovative idea or wants to build on, you know, like a particular skill, then that is something they can learn. So it's going, it's not going to be just coming to work going home like literally they will yearn to go to the job because they know there's an additional thing um that they're learning so yeah i think packaging but also the opportunities for continued um engagement within the um I, the companies um yeah within the businesses okay well I, I really like hearing that because you know as a young person myself i know that me myself and also my peers we have a lot of really nice innovative ideas but we almost never get the opportunity to be doing this yeah. i'm really happy that you mentioned that yeah. um, you guys are setting off to create these incubation spaces yeah. Yeah. But i want to move back to the question that i asked before so kame i'm going to repeat the question how would it be beneficial for business owners and employees to f yeah foster shared knowledge in order to bridge the gap in information yeah, I think it's very important and um, it's also what we see uh, with our IPs, with our, the people that work in these IPs, is that really valuable and beneficial to them to share knowledge and to, to share insights. Um, that's also why we are really trying to bring them together so that they can learn from each other, uh, talk about challenges and opportunity. For example, we brought our IPs in Uganda together so that they could together explore the topic of green jobs. And we saw that that was very valuable to just share insights and also to encourage each other to really go into this, into this green direction. So yeah. yeah, sharing knowledge is for sure very valuable. Okay, and how do you see this, Nina? Yeah, I think it, it comes down to aligning these green jobs with the ambitions of, of use, really. That's, that's the bottom line. And sharing uh, knowledge is a, a means to get there. Um, what I'd like to add um, is that not only businesses and employees, of course, should engage in this sharing of knowledge, but youth organisations, policymakers, practitioners. Um, what you really need is everyone on board to, to get this in-depth understanding and align it with what youth actually want, um, which is where you know knowledge platforms can come in to, to facilitate this, these knowledge exchanges, because that's really the only way you're going to get that match between ambitions and, and reality. Okay, that's really nice. And now I have a question for you too also. Um, could you both share how we can apply the specified understanding to the broader context of, for example, climate mitigation and also climate adaptation? 
Yeah, so what we see in the, the CFIE portfolio is that most of our IPs there are focused on uh, climate mitigation. Yeah. Um, so they focus on, for example, reducing waste or recycling or minimizing emissions, which of course makes also sense because it's a bit easier to focus on reducing the negative impacts than to adapt to uh, circumstances that you might not even face yet or you don't know how they will look like in the future. Um, so for example, in agriculture, that's a sector in which we already can see a bit more the impact of climate change. So we can see already increasing uh, extreme weather circumstances. And in that sector, we can see that um, IPs are already more focusing on climate adaptation. So they're already uh, adapting their farming practices. They're training farmers, uh, learning them new techniques to actually yeah, respond to these changing weather circumstances. Um, so yeah, that's uh, the difference we can see in our IPs. Look at this, very interesting. And do you have any insights on this, Nina? Um, yeah, I think uh, we also found this in in our research, basically, that the, the scales are more tipped towards mitigation method, uh, methods, um, but both have huge potential and will need huge investments in the future. Um, I think there was a projection that in the renewable energy sector that will directly create 8 million jobs by 2050, which is, yeah. you know, there's there's huge potential. Um, but you'd also need this on the adaptation front and, and the opportunities there are huge. Um, for example, flood pre prevention, you'd need a huge amount of people to yeah. get the infrastructure there. Um, so I think we're, we're noticing the same th thing. Uh, there is huge potential. And the only thing I would say that we might need more of a balance in investment between mitigation and adaptation. Okay, more of a balance. That's really yeah. that's really interesting. And now we know that the green economy has you know incredible potential to drastically um, scale up opportunities for decent work and especially in youth employment. So I want to ask you, what are the key sectors that generate green jobs, and what skills do they actually require, especially from from young people? Yeah. Um, so we found. Uh, well, firstly, all sectors can create green jobs. That's my view anyway. Uh, but we did find five high potential sectors, which we, you know, we measure that by climate effectiveness and, and growth opportunities within that sector and opportunities for employment, of course. So um, off by heart, uh, correct me if I'm missing one, uh, we found uh, agriculture, uh, the manufacturing industry, um, infrastructure and construction was a big one. Obviously, renewable energy yeah. and waste management. I always forget that one, but uh, yeah. waste manage management, as we uh, mentioned before, with waste pickers, etc. And now for all of these sectors, there seems to be this general misconception that you need to be a highly skilled person with a technical education background. It's just not true. So <laughs> a lot of the jobs, the majority of the jobs created in the green job sector are, do not require high skills. We actually found that what is required, not only in the green jobs, but in, in jobs in general, is actually more soft skills and skills like digital literacy yeah. and, and management skills and all of that. And, you know, it relates to the job sector in general, what we really need to fulfill this potential of green jobs is for an inclusive job sector yeah. that provides decent work to youth. I mean, youth is now super overrepresented in unemployment, but also in the working poor. Um, and to fulfill green job potential, you 
really just need to fulfill the potential of the whole job market. And so focusing on more inclusivity and yeah. more decency in jobs. Yeah, more inclusivity. I like that. <laughs> But I want to move on to you, Magina. Um, I want to ask you the same question from your expertise. You know, what are the key sectors that generate green jobs? Maybe also the most. And what skill sets do you require? And maybe focus also on young people. Um, I mean, in terms of sectors, I probably won't. Uh, yeah. Probably it's what uh, Nina was saying as well. Just I think waste management, agriculture, definitely a big employer. Um, yeah, the construction, manufacturing. And I think just to put emphasis on Nina's saying is like everyone needs to think about greening their enterprises. Like you might not be there, but there's always a journey that you can start taking yeah. towards get there. And I think that's what we need to see um, with everyone. So coming down to skills, again, because I'm speaking to um, evidence after engaging with young people, um, particularly in Uganda, but then also in other countries like Kenya. And one of the things that came out is most of the young people who were already employed in the green jobs um, did not have specific skills before they were actually mm. onboarded with those companies. And for us, that was like, You know, we thought they would give us like, you know, some technical high skill that gave them those jobs. So the young people that we, we have engaged just said, you know, like when you said, so I came because I had some IT skills, some management skills, administration skills, really just different things, uh, marketing skills. But then when they all, when they joined the companies again through, like I said, the continuous mentorship yeah. and, you know, opportunities to continue learning, then that's how they continue building um, on probably like. I guess more specific skills that are needed in the in the in the different sectors. So I think um, that is one thing that that um, came out strong. And then also one thing that we've also been telling um, that came out is also for training institutions, for instance. So I know there's a lot of um, training for young people, you know, as they're joining jobs. And I think with most training institutions, they, they always have an element of entrepreneurship. Yeah. And something that we say is, can we make sure that anything that is training, skilling, you know, like the supply side has green components embedded in you know on that so that at least you know the young people are prepared more they understand more so even before they join the job market or start looking for jobs they already have um you know that understanding so i think that was yeah that is key It's really interesting to hear because both of you mentioned that, you know, there's not really any hard skills required. But, you know, as you said, these these young people foster these skills within yeah, within their experience and years within these companies. So that's really interesting to hear. But Kame, the CFOE portfolio encompasses many diverse sectors. And I want to ask you, what is the key challenge to attracting yeah, young people and also women um, to these yeah, to these businesses? Yeah, I think the first thing to recognize, Nina also said it. Um, is also that we take into account the, the, the basic challenges youth face uh, when they st uh, start entering the labor market. So like we said, the basic skills they need to have to enter into a job and also for women to enter the labor market, they also face specific challenges which are not um, specifically related to green jobs, but mm -hmm. it's important to recognize that these challenges also exist and that we also yeah should start overcoming these challenges. Um, and then specifically related to the green jobs, we see, like we already said, that uh, people often think they need um, they need to be high skilled or they need to have certain technical skills. Um, so we really need to change that uh, perception because, yeah, you don't need these skills to work in a green job. Um, and another thing we see is that uh, young people really have the feeling that green jobs might be farming jobs, jobs in yeah. agriculture, or they might be dirty jobs. So they have kind of a bad association uh, with green jobs. So it's also important to change 
change that uh, perception and to to make sure that they understand that green jobs can be uh, yeah can be all kind of jobs and they don't have to be dirty or jobs in agriculture. Exactly. I think we have to break the stigma. You know, as yeah. Nino also said, you know, the job doesn't really have to be tied in 100% to, uh, yeah, to green environment to be able to be called a green job. So exactly. I think that's really interesting to hear. But from this understanding, I want to ask, how can we integrate gender sensitization in green jobs? And um, yeah, mostly in the campaigns. And also, can we think of practical recommendations for increasing the attractiveness of, of green jobs to, to young people? As you said, it's kind of a lot of young people are turned off by this. Mm -hmm. I want to ask, how can we how can we start doing this? I want to ask you, Marjina, and then move on to, to Ninia. Yeah, and maybe I'll respond to that question with some tangible examples. Yeah. So again, just going back to Uganda. So when you are engaging with some of the young people, um, there was this young um, young woman, young mother, actually, who has uh, two children and she's a single mother. And one of the things that attracted her to, you know, this green job, I will say, because she um, does um, a black soldier, um, black soldier flyer, like making organic fertilizer. Mm. Um, and one thing that she liked about this opportunity is one is um, she was able to get that opportunity, but it didn't tie her to like have to report to work on a day-to-day -day basis from a yep. specific time to a specific time. So she was able to flexibly like work within her hours. So I think for her, she said she works only like four hours in a day, but she's still able to make um, enough money to, to feed her family. Yep. Two, because she has two kids to take care of. So for her, the aspect of flexibility um, was very big, you know, because as a young mother, you have two children, there are, you know, household duties and things like that. And I think for her, that was a big thing. The third thing also, I think, one thing that she said is that with her making the fertilizer, as much as she sells the fertilizer, the organic fertilizer for money, but she also uses it on her farm, which also improves, you know, like her food, you know, because she's farming, you know, she farms pineapples and, you know, different things, but also food. And so far she said, so there's money that I'm making, but it's also really, you know, increasing my food um, security, you know, yeah. for my family. And I think that flexibility aspect um, came in very well. And I think the other thing, like Nina said, is also now they're matching with the aspirations of the young people. Yes. So again, there was this young person that we talked to who's... Um, into bee farming and uh, we call them apiculturist yeah and one thing that he said he liked is he's now studying pharmacy and so he likes whatever he's doing because even with the honey that you know the bees produce he's now really looking at strengthening um how you know the medicinal benefits that honey offers especially now with yeah. him taking a pharmacy you know a pharmacy course yeah. so you were saying it's linking very well with what i want and so i want to do this like you know for the longest time that i can and i like that and i think that's why i say like the elements of decency where do they come in so there's the um flexibility there's the income yes but then there's the matching with the aspirations and yeah i think more of that um, needs to be looked into, definitely. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I want to tie into the, the episode we did this um, earlier before this mm -hmm. this one episode. And one of our experts mentioned that, you know, if we compare to how people were looking at jobs 30 years ago, they were more looking for security. But now in, in 2022, we're mostly looking for you know, flexibility because you know the world isn't as black and white as it was 30 years ago. So I, I really like how everything you says ties into what we're saying today, but also to our past episodes. Mm. I think that's, that's really interesting. But but Nina, I also want to ask you yeah, the, the same question, you know, so um, can we think of pra practical recommendations for increasing the attractiveness of green jobs for young people? And not for women specifically in, I mean, in general? All of them. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, Magina is, you know, the best positioned um, 
to ask there. There are, um, of course, certain things we can do. But uh, yeah, I, I really don't want to speak for the perspectives of African youth, really. So yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but what Magina said was really, 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 really insightful. And I really like how, you know, everything we say really ties in together because that's how you know, you know. And also in, in two episodes before this one episode, one of our experts says, um, she said, speak to the people, listen to the people. And that's also something really important, you know, especially, I think, in the context that, that you work in. But, you know, it's not like speaking to the people, listening to the people. I think that's supposed to be the core of, of, of what we do on, the, yeah, on a daily basis. And do you want to add anything, um, Kamei? Mm, I think it's also important to, like we said, there are certain misunderstandings or misperceptions about green jobs. So I think it's also important to to show a bit of the daily reality, what these jobs can offer to the young people. So I think that's also something we want to try to do more, like really show what a green job is and yeah. what it offers for people working in a green job. So that's yeah. something we can uh, yeah. really work towards. Yes, 100%. And to ensure true engagement and decency, that, uh, to ensure that these align with job retention and growth, Growth, business owners need to practically integrate these values into their business models. That's just a fact. You know, we can take a sneak peek at the key recommendations from our Ugandan youth champs based on their research findings. So um, let's take a look at that video. From our report, we had uh, several recommendations, but we zeroed down to the major three recommendations that we think moving forward, if we want to make green jobs distant for young people, and if we want to have them in our companies and our green sector, we have to do this. Number one, we, have, we need to have our workplaces as incubation centers. We need to be different from other organizations where someone comes in at eight, they go back home at five. No, that should change. Because you want them to come at, work, at your workplace and then walk out with a skill every day. Undergrown sector. If, you have, if they come and collect this bottle as a young lady, it shouldn't stop at just collecting this bottle. No, can she go ahead and recycle it? We need to give these young people opportunities, keep on adding value to our products. But if we don't do that, then we shall have more young people who are coming to collect these bottles and then they go back home and sleep. And for, when we look at the future of work, this has to be different. Again, when we conducted our key IIs, we realized that all of the young people that are owning youth-led initiatives and the green sector, they underwent an incubation training. So for those that have not had an opportunity to go under incubation training, they don't have these uh, youth-led initiatives. So for us, this speaks volumes. If you want to have more young people employed, they must create opportunities. Because the challenge that we are fighting are jobs. So I, I don't think, I don't think EcoBricks is in Mara yet. So when I was at university, they don't know where they can do their internship from. But Isaac, who is already doing this is not able to have enough money to have more than 10 people on his board. So both CFYE and the implementing partners need to make sure that even the young people who are leading the youth-led initiatives and the green economy have to be capacitated financially to expand and create these centers, incubational centers. Yes, and Hosea mentioned these incubation centers. And I want to ask you, Magina, you know there's more that can be done with these centers, right? I mean, yeah, and I think that's what we've said. So I think 
what, what in the current environment is when people think incubation centers, they think, you know, that's something that the government can do or that the civil society can do. Yeah. But we are also here to change that narrative that the private sector as well, that is something that they can, um, you know, do as well. I think Nina said very well that this is everyone's um, um, role. And yes. maybe just to also say, like, I think also we, what you are saying is that, yeah, there are different types of, of, of you know, green job opportunities and some, you know, need different skills so it's also for a young person to really identify um, their passion as well or what they're most interested in or what they want to get out of it um, and the only way they can be able to know that is if again we or the private sector the companies or you know if we actually avail um, that information um, to them so I think my challenge or my encouragement, again, that's as Kame said to most of our IPs, is to really to really package some of those um, good practices, very good working models, and to be able to share that um, with more young people out here so that they can know the opportunities to take advantage of. Yes, I really like that. And, and Kame, are there any additional insights that could aid in the accelerating this growth? Yeah, no, I totally agree with what Magina is saying. A job is a job, but it can be yeah. so much more than that. And that's also really important that we see it like that. It's an opportunity for growth, for personal development. And especially also in the green job context, it can be really be an opportunity to raise more awareness and to make people also personally passionate about this green job topic. So, yeah, we should really see it like that and also encourage that. I like that. You, you said a job is a job, but it can be way more than that. I, I really like that quote. I think that's, that's really important to, to mention. And um, this, this discussion has focused on examining and scrutinizing the, the different perspectives on the green economy and also gaining new insights into a larger and um, yeah, but promising um, sector. Has there been any, anything that you have learned today that will inform you on your understanding? And I want to ask each and one of you. So I want to ask um, you first, Inya. Yeah, I think the most important thing is indeed to listen to the to the voices of yep. youth themselves, um, but also to recognise the diversity in those, because we say African youth. I mean, that's a super overgeneralising term. So we need to recognise the different kinds of voices um, that there are and actually really listen to them and, and give these youths the decision-making power and these kind of things. To you know, we need to foster this knowledge, but also have action after that. So, and I think African youth should be in the lead of that. Yeah, I really like that. And as a, as a young person, as someone that spends his yeah his, his days talking to young people and yeah basically working in meaningful participation, I really love that you said that. <laughs> I, I really love that you said that. But um, yeah, I want to move on to you now, Magina. Is there anything that you learned today that will inform your your own understanding? Um, yeah, I guess like first with like following up from what Nina is saying, I think, yeah, so we always say that young people are not a homogeneous group. So it's not a one shoe size fits all. 100%. So the young mothers, the young people in the rural communities, the young people in the urban communities, like our understanding is can all be different and so i think i like that aspect of let's continue um listening to them but also for the private sector particularly even when you're designing business models is how much of their voice you know do we actually embed and i think there needs to be more 
intention in terms of engaging with these young people because we also want to build you know the future youth we want to make sure that these models are sustainable so that yes. they don't die you know with the current company so we need to make sure that it's continued generation but also uh, continued engagement with the community i guess to ensure there's that clear balance of course of of planet um you know profits but also the, the people themselves as well yeah i really like that i really like the sustainability is also super important yeah. but can last but not least um, yeah, the same question to you too. Has there been anything that you learned today that will inform your own understanding? Mm, I can think one of the key things I learned today is also um, we can define green shops and we can talk a lot about it and talk about which skills you need or don't need. But I think the most important thing is also to recognize that every business can go green and you don't have to yes. do a lot. You can make small steps towards wow. a greener business. And I think by not talking too much about this big definition or what skills yeah. you need. Um, yeah, we should also recognize these small steps and encourage businesses to take these steps. Yes, wow, every business can go green. I, I, I <laughs> love that. I think that's an excellent way to also wrap <laughs> up this this episode. Thank you so much, Nina, Magina, and also Kamei for an enlightening conversation. And also a special thanks to our youth champs, Hosea and Faith, for sharing their research that they, they're conducting and their, also their findings. We have seen the need for equity in the labor market, meaningful engagement in decision-making to retain youth, and most importantly, the vast opportunities available for the future of work in green jobs. Thank you so much to our three incredible female experts here. And my name was Kevin Estacia, and this was Future Economies Start With Youth. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>